Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg with my other Falkley challenged cohorts, the great Jay Billis. Just ask him and he'll tell you how great he is. And the diva known as LaFonso Ellis, the nicest human being and maybe the nicest diva in America. But we have actually a real guest today and TJ Otzelberger join us from Iowa State, getting ready to play Texas Tech this evening at Coach Chip. Before we get into your game tonight, you know, the one thing that kind of intrigues me uh, a little bit is a lot of people have gone into the portal. But when I look at the guys that you got to build out your roster, uh, you got maturity, you got toughness, you got guys that didn't have to surrender because they bought into kind of the things they do well. How did you guys go about rebuilding your roster? Well, it was important for us to, to get guys that were self-aware that had some ownership or accountability and why things didn't work out at their last place uh, rather than guys that felt like they didn't get a fair shake or they didn't play the right position or somehow they were done wrong. Um, so that was the first part of it. Uh, we wanted maturity guys that, um, you know, understood what they did well uh, and also understood the areas where they needed to improve and wanted to work at those things. And so uh, we tried to be mindful of support network uh, the folks around them, were they, were the, was the messaging going to be the same? Because when I've seen some transfers, you have a little more urgency when you're on the back end of your career and you maybe have a year or two left. So we also wanted to make sure their support network had that alignment. And a lot of the guys we took weren't, weren't the ones that were like ranked on the highest, most talented transfer rankings um, because we, we wanted that low ego. We wanted, you know, workers, daily habits and so when we talked through the process with each guy, we told them what we were going to expect and demand every day. And if that wasn't for them, uh, then fine. But we really tried to be mindful of having those attributes uh, be present. TJ, speaking of that, with Isaiah Brockington, I knew he'd be a great defender for you. But were you surprised at his offensive output? He's been outstanding. The neat thing about Isaiah is he's such a high character, hardworking uh, young man. He's been somebody that, you know, like he didn't come up playing on like, uh, you know, a hype AAU team where he was the guy. It's never been about him. You know, even you look at his story to start at St. Bonaventure, he was kind of a guy they took as a throw in and sat a year at, you know, didn't have great success there. Then sat a year at Penn State, came off the bench. And what I loved when we started talking to Isaiah was that he he spoke very uh, clearly and transparently from the heart of like, you know, I've never been looked at as as a go-to guy. I've never been, and, and he asked honest questions, like what would you demand from me? What would I need to bring every day? And so what, where we were very, um, where we were on the same page, I'll say, is that um, we said, if you're going to work really hard pressuring the basketball, if you're going to practice hard every day, if you're going to rebound the ball at a high rate, then we can uplift and empower you offensively. And we are willing to allow you to play through some of those challenges to play through. So you build your confidence through being aggressive. And so when we got in here, we played a lot of five on five this summer because we wanted to see what the offensive strengths of our guys truly were. And what I'll give Isaiah so much credit for is he's absolutely relentless every single day. He practices hard. He sets the tone. Uh, we start every day uh, closing out and guarding the basketball. He's at the front of the line uh, and he's, he's given a hundred percent. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say as surprised as 
you know, my experience has just been when guys really work uh, to the level that he works and they have the character that he has, they usually tend to figure things out. And to his credit, uh, that's what he's done. TJ, when you take over a new job, as you have, um, and you've done it before, but when you take over a new job, what, what's the first thing you want to establish? What, what, what's your highest priority in getting started? For me, the highest uh, priority would be like the accountability. And what I mean by that is everybody understanding across the board in the program, myself, assistant coaches, trainers, strength coaches, um, graduate assistants, and then whether it's the players that are on the team, if they can fit that, but there's going to be in a system of accountability. We're going to work in the same manner, whether it's the hours we come in, how we practice. Uh, we dress the same. Our assistants wear the same attire every day for practice. We wear the same attire every game. It's, it's putting a system in place where everybody, um, I don't want to say surrenders, but everybody understands their sacrifices and necessary uh, choices that are made to pour into the group and give everything that you have. And that was what we really tried to do. And, and, and honestly, I've learned uh, through things I've, I've maybe done okay and some that I haven't, that, that how important that really is. So if you're wearing the same thing every day, do your assistants dress like you or do you dress like them? <laughs> you know, Who's really, leading the way there? Yeah, we're really fortunate. You know, like our director of basketball operations, who's one of my best friends, Micah Byers, you know, he played football at Florida and he's very swaggy. So uh, <laughs> what we wear, because I'd be afraid if I, if I picked those things, it'd be far too lame. And I wouldn't be able to get anyone to play it to. So I'll tell you what, you talk about that, but like Jay Wright, there's Jay Wright's swag on the sideline and Villanova. I don't know who picks it out, but it's somewhat obviously, I mean, that stuff's like tailored. So, I mean, that's the bar. So you got to go to those Nike people and say, whatever they're doing at Villanova, we want that same stuff. Because, like, <laughs> I'm not saying TJ, you're going to look like Jay Wright on the sidelines now. Believe me, I'm not saying that, but at least you'll have the same gear. Yeah. He looks closer to Jay Wright than we do. <laughs> especially in the hair department <laughs> you know it, it'd be really hard for me to to put anyone in that spot because i don't know how you can dress a body like spongebob and have it turn out looking like jay wright so <laughs> hey, 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 interesting you you worked with incredible coaches you know whether it was obviously coach hoiberg obviously uh Lorenzo Marma, who who did a, a terrific job coach mcdermott yeah i watch your team and i I see what you guys are doing defensively and, you know, you come from working with great offensive coaches yet defensively, that's kind of your guys identity to me uh, along with just spacing offensively. But like, how do you find that balance and who's had that great influence on you? Well, growing up in Wisconsin, you know, I, I idolized uh, Dick Bennett and, and Tony Bennett's kind of been like a big brother to me. Uh, those guys, since I was a kid, I went to the camps at Wisconsin Green Bay. Uh, I have the first, uh, you know, pressure defensive video that that Coach Bennett put out when he was working at Wisconsin Stevens Point. I can picture him in the like the uh, purple and gold uh, jacket up at the dry erase board. And so those guys have had a really uh, great influence on me. And when you think about it, I was so much more of a wannabe than a real player, right? And so our college coach probably gave me the best advice I could ever get. And he said, like, you, your upside has been tapped out a long time ago. You don't have any. <laughs> and so I suggest put the two ball, ball handling stuff away, quit jumping rope, like start figuring out how you're going to make your teammates better and the other team worse. 
And literally, it's probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. And so for me, just to be a college player at, at where I was able small college basketball, I had to be a, a physical defender, an on-ball defender. Um, so that was my background, you know, just trying to survive to have a role in the game. And then growing up with the Bennett's, like I just I always have that uh, that sense of like, you know, mentality uh, it, it sets the tone for the game. And that's what we try to do with our group. And as you mentioned, I've, I've been fortunate to work for some really good forehead coaches who've all had a lot of success. Um majority more offensively inclined, but uh, I, w- I would say that, you know, at my core, I'm, I'm more of a defense mentality type of guy. Did you play other sports growing up, TJ? And, and did you ice fish? <laughs> <laughs> I've never understood the notion of ice fishing. I had a good buddy that was in town last weekend and I said to him, like, why wouldn't you just get like one of those plastic swimming pools and throw some goldfish in from the pet store? <laughs> <laughs> and if you like, you know, if you want to have an adult beverage and put your feet up in a chair, you can do it right there instead of all these, you know, I, I so I, I didn't grow up uh, ice fishing. Ironically, I grew up wrestling, playing football and, and baseball. Um, basketball was my rebellion. My dad played college baseball at Wisconsin, Milwaukee and wanted, uh, wanted me to play baseball. And I remember coming home like my freshman year of high school and I said, you know what, I'm actually into basketball. I'm going to transition over to basketball. And so when I first started playing, it was probably more like a wrestler playing basketball because there's <laughs> a lot of holding and grabbing and chucking and hip tosses and things like that. But for me, I just fell in love with basketball because it was something you could always work on. I had like the the tapes when I was a kid, like the Bobby Hurley ball handling video with the inside out move and crossover. And so I remember having that like playing, going to the playground. And so the thing I loved about basketball is you didn't need anybody else. You just needed a ball and a hoop. And so I didn't really start playing until my freshman year. Um, you know, I told my dad I was going to play year round. But at that time in Milwaukee, I got cut from both AAU teams that I, I tried out for. And Seth, you coached one of the guys on my team, uh, Dan Lashefko at South Florida. He made yeah. all freshman team for you. He was on my AU team. And so what happened is I found out um, that I was a far better like recruiter and putting a team together and assembling a team. And then if I had the right pieces around me, that my deficiencies wouldn't show as much. So I actually started my own AAU team and put the group together. And uh, interesting to be in this position. That was something I was doing when I was 15 years old. So, so is wrestling the hardest sport you've ever competed in? And did you have to do all that crazy stuff to make weight ever? I would say wrestlers. I have a, a respect for wrestlers that I believe that you're tested more mentally in that sport, certainly than, than any other, um, you know, just the weight gain, the weight loss, the, the self-discipline, um, you know, just to me, when you're going combat, whether it's boxing, wrestling, MMA, it's mano y mano. And everybody is in great physical shape. Everybody is, um, you know, has all these strengths. And so I think in wrestling, we talk a lot about the big the mental challenge of being in the Big 12 because of how good every team is and every night's a challenge. But shoot, think about, you know, when you're wrestling and you're going against a guy that weighs the same as you, that's equally trained um, physically. I mean, the mental aspect is such a huge component. So I, I have a ton of respect for wrestlers. I think that is the most challenging sport. Seth, do you still have your old wrestling uniform? (laughs) (laughs) I just, uh, here's the thing about wrestling. I mean, you guys wear that, they wore those those things on their ears, but their ears still get the 
Pirardo. Cauliflower ear. But the cauliflower, that's a badge of courage and honor. Like, that's what you want, Seth. You know, like, I don't know if when you're wrestling. When you got to be on like this, you don't need any more distractions. <laughs> Man. Well, what's your, what's your biggest challenge the rest of the year, TJ? I think it's, it's for our guys. You know, we've been very demanding in the summer and into the fall and how we've practiced every day. And so it's, it's really being mindful of what is the right amount of practice time to continue building our habits so we can get better. And then what's the right amount of like necessary rest, recovery, stretching, things along those lines. So that balance uh, and being mindful of that is, is probably our biggest challenge. And then also just, you know, it's one game at a time, you know, you hear so many times where people will say, well, the, the next six are on the road or three of the next four against ranked opponents. And, and to me, it's just kind of like, I'm not any smarter than I am. So I just have to really focus on what's in front of me in the next minute or five minutes. So I can't get too far ahead. So just keeping our guys focused on let's just win the next game and play the best we can. Hey, TJ, Tristan Anaruna, uh, especially coming out of high, he's a stud in high school. But then coming to college, of course, he kind of wants to play the small forward position. But obviously, I think he's at his best when he's at the four because of his versatility. What, what was your conversation like with him uh, once you landed him uh, at, at Iowa State? Well, the thing that we liked about Tristan is, is he had a coachability to him. And certainly playing for Coach Self for two years at Kansas, you knew that they coach him hard. He was going to be fundamentally sound. He's going to have defensive habits. And so when he came in and we watched him through the summer and he and I sat down to define what his role and responsibility in our team would be, my guess is at first he wasn't thrilled with the fact that it didn't involve playing on the perimeter and shooting a lot of threes uh, because he's he's got a skill level to him. And so I think so many times, like the one thing that Tristan really needed was to build his confidence uh, and things he could be successful doing. And so many times with young people, people say, well, that means freedom and kind of do everything. And to me, it means the opposite. It's, you know, find something you can, that's a strength that you can be really good at and then do that as many times as you can. And where he's been terrific for us is we've said, Hey, you're a great cutter along the baseline. So whether it's 45 degree cuts, screening and cutting, uh, be a great mover on that baseline. And then also an offensive rebounding threat because he is a great mover. He is a quick jumper. He's got long arms and so trying to have him be an all-star in that role and in that niche and build his confidence from there. And, you know, now the challenge for Tristan is going to be uh, because he's had a few really impactful games is to stay right in that zone. Keep doing those same things. Don't deviate. Don't don't look at, well, what else can I add to it? Uh, build your confidence through doing simple, doable, effort based things over and over and over again. And and that's where we've got to keep his headspace. And if, if we can, he'll he'll continue to perform well. Tyrese Hunter, you've you've been around really good players. I mean, and it seems like he's he's fit in with a maturity. Obviously, he's, there's always a learning curve, but uh, you're putting him with this veteran team. What have the veterans done to make the game easy for him? Because I mean, you do have a core of upper class, you know, seniors and fourth year seniors and fifth year seniors. Uh, what have they done to kind of put their arms around him to make his transition easier? Because he's so important to your team. Well, I'd say it starts with how they do things, you know, how they're how they approach team meetings, stretching, um, you know, practice, drill work. When you have examples in practice like Isaiah Brockington and say, make it look like what he does. That's what ball pressure looks like. Do what he's doing 
That's what disruption is. That's what speeding up uh, the opponent is. And then he can also see, like, after a game, what does it look like to recover properly, to stretch, to use a cold tub, Normatec? Um, you know, what does it mean to eat the right way and get eight hours of sleep? And so I think so many times for freshmen when they come in, it's like, well, how much am I going to play right away? And to me, it's, well, what are you, what are your daily habits? What do you do every single day right now? And what are you going to do when you get here? And then how is that cumulative effect going to, going to impact you mentally, right? Are you going to be able to sustain that day in and day out over a five and a half month season? And so for Tyrese to have, um, you know, guys that he can look to and say, all right, that's what it looks like. That really is helpful for sure. What, what I'd say about Tyrese is he has a natural maturity, even though he just turned 18 not too long ago. He's had some adversity and challenges in his life um, that for him, uh, a, a disappointment or a play in basketball that doesn't go his way. Uh, the sky isn't falling. It's not the end of the world and he's not the victim. So uh, possibly his greatest quality as talented of a basketball player as he is, is it's to have that grit to bounce back after failure, to be able to turn it over and then come back and get a stop, to be able to make the wrong, you know, not make the right read on a ball screen and then come back and set the tone defensively uh, and lock our defense in. So I think that's probably what I've seen in a lot of young people, like the greatest skill or trader attribute you can have is to bounce back quickly, to get to what's next, to move past disappointment, to not compound uh, negative plays. And as a freshman, he understands that and does a really good job with it, which allows him to play uh, far more veteran than what his experience says. That's really good. Yeah, really good. Now, I got well, I, one last one for you. I got one last one, Seth. Uh oh, here you go. I can tell the smile on your face. <laughs> Allison was a pretty good player at Iowa State and played in the WNBA. Do you guys ever play one on one? And if so, who wins, TJ? Well, like you learn in marriage, um, the most important thing is it's not being right. Uh, it's, it's all about timing. It's about knowing which time, when it's you walk away from a battle uh, and, and not letting your ego get in the way. So, potentially, <laughs> if we were to play one on one, uh, this, it would be the mismatch of all time because of her skill level, her intelligence, her shooting ability and and her gifts. And so like my only way to compete would be to be extremely like dirty and physical and foul and, you know, no fouls and, 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 you know, like no, no refs and all that sort of thing. And so I'm wise enough to understand that that wouldn't be in my best interest. So I'm willing to say here that absolutely she would win. And I'm really good with that uh, scenario. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Play, playing dirty sounds a lot like my marriage. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this is Wendy Bellis on line yeah. one. Yeah, she's the one doing it though. She's the one. She's the one with it with, with the dirty tactics. <laughs> and you wonder why we keep them locked up. We have to keep Jay locked up. TJ, good good luck good luck tonight. And, and yes. you're right about the the approach. I'm mean, Skip Prosser gave me great advice my first year at the ACC. And it was the year before when you had Chris Paul and they were number one in the country. And I remember sitting with them at league meetings and I said, just, you know, give me one thing I could hold on to during the course of next season. Skip said this to me. He said, he said, you never know, really, it's never as good as you think it is. He said, we were undefeated. We were number one in the country. He said, then I looked at our schedule and we had Duke, Carolina, at Maryland. I forgot, maybe NC State. And we lost three of the next four. He said, now we were, we were still a really good team. 
And, you know, we made a, a good run in the NCAA tournament, but it's not as good as you think it is. It's not as bad as you think it is. He said, I'm, my, he said, the one advice I do is coach your team every day and get better every day. And uh, I hung on to that for, from Skip literally. And my last year wasn't that hard. It wasn't that easy, but I hung on to that thing. And uh, it, it's as good an advice because your league, I mean, there's no rock and chair games in that thing, man. I mean, that league is just, if you don't play well, you're not going to win. But if you don't get to the next game, you got no chance with your team and yourself emotionally. So you know, good luck. You know, I've really enjoyed watching. I love how your team plays. Yes. Kind of, you know, really I, fun I, to watch. I appreciate the wisdom and, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about our guys and um, really respect the job you guys do. If we can help with anything along the way, let us know. And uh, man, I'm excited to see you guys continue to have your successes as well. It's fun to watch. So keep up the great work. And TJ, don't so listen to Seth. You can outcoach all those shots in the Big 12. <laughs> no big deal. I appreciate the confidence, Jay. <laughs> Jay hasn't really experienced failure, except for his freshman year. Old guy does his freaking win. When you get your head smacked around a couple times in a row, and you can't sleep, and you don't think you can ever win another game, you think of every reason why you're not going to win. All right, he hasn't experienced that. Maybe on the yes, I have. I'm still in therapy from from my friend. Freshman year. <laughs> hey, that came tonight real quick. Like, you're talking about two teams that are going to keep it sidelined. You can talk about two teams that are going to get up and up and underneath you. You can talk about two teams that are going to be really aggressive. Do you think actually, just real quickly on that game, do you think not having a point guard, Texas Tech, is at a greater disadvantage than, like, say, having Tyree Sunder, who, who who basically they run their offense through? I, I think at times, Seth, it's, it's going to hurt because of the way they pick you up uh, full court particularly. I think at times it's going to hurt. What I worry about with Iowa State is what we've wondered about all year. Who's going to be that consistent second or third score for them? Because when you play against Texas Tech, because they're going to keep you silent, you got to have some guys who can put it on the floor and make some plays. And uh, Gabe Kasher, who I absolutely love from Minnesota, uh, obviously had a reputation for shooting it. Hasn't shot it, as, I don't think, to his capability, but he can guard. But I, I'm interested to see how he and Tyrese handle the pressure of Texas Tech also, uh, because in order for Iowa State to win this game, Gabe Kasher or Tyrese is going to have to shoot the ball well and score it well uh, to come away with the win against Texas Tech tonight. That's going to be one of those games where, uh, like TJ was saying, uh, we may, may not be able to play well, but we got to make them play worse because that, that, yeah. that's got a fist fight written all over it. Ooh. Yes. That's, that, I heard they're going to fly you in for that game because that, that has maybe Tennessee, Texas Tech written all over it. You have experience with that. I have experience <laughs> with that, yeah. And it uh, seems like a lot of my games lately, um, you know, there's been some offensive issues, uh, you know, Tuesday <laughs> night, I'm in, I'm in Baton Rouge for Kentucky LSU and, and Xavier Wheeler went down the first four minutes of the game. And I was really worried that he was really hurt. He got hit with a, a backcourt screen and uh, his big guy didn't call it out. So he, he got, he got blasted and uh, it didn't look like much at first, but, but he had to be helped off the floor and boy, it really shows you not that, that all of us didn't know that, but you take away the, the engine of a team yeah. uh, and then it disrupts everybody else's role and bringing the ball up court becomes a five man job. 
instead of a one man job uh, against pressure. And uh, and it was man, if if you needed conclusive proof of how important uh, your point guard is, yes. uh, that 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 was it. And Jay, I agree. And it, it didn't help much that Ty Ty Washington was out also. So they yeah. were deplete of ball handlers with the exception of Davion Mintz. And so, yeah, it, and it showed in the last two possessions of that game for sure. But even Fonz um, with Ty Ty uh, in the game healthy before he started, and I think it was cramps. I don't have confirmation of that, but it looked like sure. he was cramping up and came back, came back in a little bit, but it was compromised. But, but that took Washington, put him on the ball more, and, and he was less available as a scoring option. And so you're asking a freshman that doesn't usually play the point, although he's got point guard skills, mm-hmm. of, okay, run the team and, and in this environment against maybe the best defensive team in, in the Southeastern Conference, mm-hmm. and then look for your scoring too. I mean, everybody was disrupted on, yes. on the Kentucky team. Agreed. And, uh, and I, I actually was impressed that they were there with the chance to win the game. I thought that said a lot about their athletic character, uh, that they handled so much adversity and gave themselves an opportunity to win. Yeah, you think about Oscar 2000, the first half, obviously Ty Ty get cramping up and, and severe, you know, going down. It's interesting because Ty Ty did a good job at advanced passing. Kentucky threw over the top of the pressure a lot yeah. uh, and played ahead of the pressure uh, of LSU. Cause you know, I looked at LSU, they play really hard defensively. They're interchangeable. They got great length. They can switch all that stuff offensively they threw it all over the place i mean they, they actually at times gave yeah. kentucky opportunities yeah. uh being there in person uh you know before we get off of that uh two things that really impressed me number one jacob Toppin, i thought really shows potential but you were there to hear coach brown's speech uh and you know coach brown obviously what he was able to do at lsu especially at that time uh i thought it was really cool he looked great on TV to me, but what was that like being there, Jay? It was awesome. There, there were so many, so many great things about seeing coach Brown and have him honored that way. They named the court uh, at the Pete Maravich assembly center after, after him. Uh, he had the ceremony before the game where they unveiled the, the, his signature on the court. And then uh, he spoke at halftime. So there were a, an unbelievable amount of former, former LSU players there to honor him. He's, as you know, 86 years old. Uh, he looks like he's 66, uh, spoke eloquently and from the heart. Uh, and it was really impressive. And, you know, you think about Seth and, and Fonz, you guys know his accomplishments and know him well, but he won 450 games at LSU, uh, went to two final fours in 81 and 86, 13 NCAA tournaments, won four SEC titles in the same league as a dominant Kentucky program. Uh, he's really synonymous with LSU basketball. I mean, if you, uh, I think if you put him, you know, said to anybody, okay, LSU basketball, what comes to mind? You might say Pete Maravich first, maybe, but but Dale Brown's going to be be top of the top of the list, and rightfully so. I will tell you two things from that game, uh, though, that stick out, and, and a couple. One incredibly, well, both of them incredibly disappointing. So number one, right before the game, I was talking with John Brady, the former great coach at LSU, does their their radio now. And an older gentleman, probably about 80 years old, came up and said, uh, and said, hey, John, how are you? And shook hands with John Brady and then looked at me and said, are you Bob Pettit? <laughs> oh! <laughs> and, then, 
And then the, the next thing, the next thing, and this is profoundly disappointing. That's so when, good. When, when Oscar Shibway, when Oscar Shibway made that great steal and then and then passed the ball out, he passed it between two players at midcourt and it goes out of bounds and or it's heading out of bounds. Davion Mintz goes after it and made a great save. Uh, to get the ball just back in bounds so it wasn't an immediate turnover. It wound up being one. But he went crashing right into me. I don't know if you saw that, but right into me. And then Joe Lindsay, the official, came over and gave me a flop warning. <laughs> Very disappointing. But did you try to catch him, Jay? Did you try to catch him? You know what? I, 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 w- I was not worried about him hitting me when he came over. The thing yeah. I was worried about was I couldn't see, like, how am I going to see the play? <laughs> and uh, and so so all of a sudden, like you got this end of this awesome end of game situation, and then you've got a a six five athletic player diving into you, uh, and uh, and you know luckily I didn't have a didn't have a an uncovered drink or anything uh, in front of me, but but in all these years, I mean I don't know about you guys or what you know when you're playing or coaching if anybody ever crashed into you that in all these years that's the first time I had a ball come over. And sure. a player come over, you know, but not nobody that ever came over the table. That's a first for me. Wow. So uh, did you you obviously weren't concerned about Ravi whatsoever. No, uh, he was on his own. He, he, was, he, was, hey, he was Savir Wheeler and I was Oscar Shibway. <laughs> <laughs> on your and, own. Uh, and, and, and number two is I've never had someone land in my lap, but I have stolen the ball from someone as a coach. We were playing Notre Dame. Fonz hey. uh, at home at Castle Coliseum and uh, your boy Quinn, who never turned the ball over ever. Right. His sister played volleyball at Virginia Tech. I'm kneeling down and he's dribbling right in front of me. And I'm I'm screaming to our guys, you know, you know get your inside hand down, stay in a stance. He crossed over right into my hand. <laughs> right? really? Went off his leg. True story to how you can ask Mike Ray. Went off his leg. Right to Jamon Gordon, who advanced past the ball to Zabian Dowdell, who dunked the ball. And, <laughs> and Mike Ray is losing his mind. He, and I just turned to him. I said, he's got to be stronger with the ball. <laughs> and the officials and the didn't official see that? the official didn't see it. And, and he's That's yelling, unbelievable. He's yelling at the official. And I'm, I'm laughing my ass off. I'm looking down at Mike. And Mike's looking down at me. I've said, I, 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 I took my hands to my chest. I said, break. He's got to be strong with the ball. He looked, me, he looked at me like, you're an <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, that, that was, that, that was that a, that was a awesome. true story. Other games last night. Uh, just let, let's go through them real quick. I don't know if you saw the Kansas game. Kansas like missed like, 15 straight shots. They went all Baker Mayfield on us. Uh, you know, 20 shots. Yeah, 20, yeah, 20 shots. shots. Just looking, and I know Dave McCormick had a good second half and he scored it and, and they ended up winning against the Oklahoma State team that I actually think is pretty good. It's long and athletic and deep and mm-hmm. talented, can't score it. But do you guys have good, like, I have a little bit of, of a concern for for Kansas. Do you guys have any you know, like concerns? Like they, they do get stuck offensively and that goes, that's two great wing players, obviously in Brown and, and at Bosley, but where, where's your guys, where do you stand on Kansas? 
They're better. I think they're significantly better than last year. And I think I, I, I really believe they're a second weekend team with a legitimate final four chance. But the, the number of teams that have that final four chance, I think, are, are greater in number than last year. Uh, so it's a it's a, a little more, you know, it's, it's never totally wide open. Um, it's all about an individual path in the tournament. But uh, but I, I, I'm less worried about a performance right now. Because after everybody got back from break, you don't really know how often these teams are practicing, given some of the uh, COVID issues they've had, not only collectively, but individually within a program. I mean, Duke played Georgia Tech uh, on Tuesday night, and they practiced once in the last like week or 10 days, whatever it was. Uh, They only had the team together for Monday. And uh, and so, you know, it's kind of hard to expect – uh, and I, and again, I don't, I didn't study what Kansas has been going through, whether they've had any of that stuff, but um, you know, I don't think there, this is one of Bill Self's vintage rosters as far as, as superior talent is concerned, but, but there's nobody out there that they cannot beat. I've not seen a team they can't beat. And uh, yeah, I've just been a little surprised that teams like Purdue um, have, have not been a little bit stronger. I mean, Purdue's already lost two conference games, which I just yes. didn't see coming. I thought they were, yep. I thought they were a little bit more bulletproof in that regard. Yeah. Uh, but, but man, you go against Johnny Davis and he puts up 37 on you, you know, that yes. dude, that dude's player of the year. Good. Uh, yep. Keegan Murray, Iowa player of the Ooh. year. Good. Uh, yes. There's, there've been some individual performances this year that quite frankly have impressed me beyond what I expected these. And I expected them to really improve, but I didn't expect, yeah. I didn't expect this out of Keegan Murray. He, he's a, yeah. he's a top 10 draft pick. He, he's yeah. ridiculous. Agreed. Uh, Jay, back, back, back to the Kansas deal. I, I, I like you. I don't worry about them as much, especially because as you know, my main issue was with David McCormick and he got off to a slow start last year. Same thing this year. Uh, and, and I thought he was terrific. I thought his activity level uh, last night was back to what I'm used to with David McCormick. Uh, Jalen Wilson, not scoring it the way that he will at some point, but I think he had what 12, 14 rebounds last night. So he's making an impact. I do think Seth, to your point, when the offense seems to get stuck, especially during that time where they missed 20 shots in a row, I think Remy Martin's got to be a lot more aggressive uh, looking for his offense during that time. Because in my mind, at the point guard position at that time, that's where they're a little bit lacking. And when that, w- with those two great wings, uh, with Christian Brown to his, oftentimes to his right and Abaji to his left, he's got to take advantage of that gap that he has and get into that gap, maybe knock down a couple pull-up Jays, get all the way to the rim. And I think that'll solve that problem with them getting stuck. But Jay, those individual performances that you talked about between those two dudes are been woo. And Keegan Murray, six, eight, day, mm-hmm. rebounding that thing, can knock down the three, scored in transition. He's bouncy. Uh, he's got mid-range pull-up game. And I got a text from uh, – I actually texted Fran McCaffrey the other night congratulating him on that win. And I was like, man, Keegan Murray is a bad dude. His response to me was like, Fonz, he's a lot like you, a real mild-mannered dude off the court, but an assassin on the court. I thoroughly enjoy watching that kid play. He's awesome. So if he's like you, he's on his way to being a gigantic diva after all these honors. I, I don't, but we have <laughs> to find out. We have to find out first, though, were they diva? Were, were, were those things uh, kind of pushed in motion by one Jay Billis, or <laughs> were there, is that kind of on his own mind? I think I think you 100%. mentioned diva first. Uh, you, you diva did. came out of your mouth first. <laughs> I know Bill is an instigator. He's an instigator. There's no doubt about it. 
that that's a valid Thank point. You. Thanks. In yeah. my business, in my business, that's called an admission. <laughs> <laughs> this is a no yeah, fault yeah. thing, hey, hey, but, but, but in his, but in his business, he's the only guy that goes to the office in shorts. <laughs> That's true, because I have a tea time after I get my business taken care of. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, you, may, you mentioned Johnny Sorry. Johnny David Johnny Davison. Like, like to me, what can't he do? Nope. I mean, if you think about it, on the ball, off the yes. ball, in ball yep. screens, in transition, rebounds the ball, makes three-point shots, terrific cutter. Like, yes. Really plays in the mid-post. I mean, that was – you know, he's playing against Jaden Ivey, who – Yes. Let's face it, we've been spending a lot of time talking about him. You know, Wisconsin's got one loss with Johnny Davis uh, you know, playing. Mm-hmm. And, and he just cha- – he literally – you know, you take him off of that team and they're mm-hmm. – you know – they're they're a bottom third yes. Big Ten team. Yeah. You know, with him, they're an upper third and and a team that you you really don't want to see. Right. Because Davidson makes enough shots. And and I, I have to great great guard and and you know finishing just as he did some things a little out of character offensively the other night for them. Like that little misdirection where they drove a baseline, he came back off the stagger, that little misdirection where Jay Nivey fell asleep. Like he's doing some different things to put Johnny Davis in position to make big, big time plays. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just thought it, I thought it was really good. The most impressive team I saw last night, though, was was Auburn. They were good. I mean, the, the most. Hey, who is that wonderful woman that just went past you there, buddy? <laughs> Grandma made a cameo. She followed. She followed <laughs> nice. on the podcast today. Nice. Uh, uh, Auburn, even you know, at South Carolina, mm-hmm. just they. And like Wendell Green Jr., he goes and he gets you know twenty something last night. I mean, they come mm-hmm. at you in waves, and there's so many different guys you have to take away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter Kessler, uh, Walker Kessler again. I think he had 12, 14, and four blocks. Had enough night only at four blocks. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, th- they just and they they play fast with him. Mm-hmm. It's hard to play fast with you know seven whatever it is seven one. Yeah. Seven seven wingspan and 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 the size and the length that they have, but they were the most impressive team. Just watching them in terms of how they played last night, I think they're I, the I, best I team. Yeah, they're the best team in the SEC, yes. and and they're they're way more than Jabari Smith, which is a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. But but the thing about Walker Kessler that sticks out to me is when he transferred from North Carolina, there was a lot of talk. I didn't hear it from him. But there was a lot of talk by people that, well, he wants to be a stretch five. He wants to be a three-point shooter, all these things. And what I would take away from his performance this year is uh, when you when you are a big guy that can do what he can do, um, look what he's getting from it. Look what Auburn's getting from it. If he makes a three every once in a while, great. And if I were Bruce Pearl, I'd say, go, go take a couple bad ones and get it over with. But But the stuff he does... In every aspect of the game, as a big guy, is going to make him more money than any human being can count, and and hopefully he's he's embracing that. He seems like he is because not only his numbers but his impact on the game is ridiculous. And one last thing on Johnny uh, on Johnny Davis of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. yes. you know you're a bad when you go from Jonathan Davis one year to Johnny Davis. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Yes, sir. Hey, hey Jake, you know what I was impressed with though. I mean, this dude is giving optimal effort on the offensive end. But did you see him whenever 
like if they ran a little misdirection where they would um, pin in. So so pin in the guard coming off. He was blowing up all of those exchanges and up and in actually preventing them from actually being able to reverse the ball. And that's what I was so impressed by. And, and so he had 37 last night against a Purdue team that's pretty decent defensively. Guess who his other 30-point game was against? Freaking Houston, one of the best defensive teams in the country. So he's not doing it against some teams who don't guard. He's putting up big-time numbers against some teams who can flat-out guard. And I absolutely agree with you guys. Auburn's the best basketball team in the SEC. They have so many different ways of beating you. And, and I've said before, they're doing that right now. And Alan Flanagan is not even healthy yet. And before, Alan Flanagan was projected as a first-round first round draft pick. So I, I, I love watching them play defensively. But they forced uh, 17 to 18 turnovers last night. They had 26 points off. The, their defense is for real. And they're balanced on the offensive end as well. I love that Auburn team. I, I agree. Uh, one thing I want to see Johnny Davis do, like he dropped 37. The guy never changed his uh, expression. <laughs> like everyone around him was jumping up and down when he made that one, that, that one pull up yeah. dagger. And like his teams are losing their mind. And he's like walking off the court like, going like, what do you expect? All right. Like, yeah. Well, what are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, like, yeah. it, 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 I mean he was flatlined. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you, a question? Yeah. you guys a question real quick. Do you guys think, though, with Wisconsin going forward, do they need a third guy to emerge on the offensive end to, to help him and to help Brad Davidson? Maybe it's Crowell. Uh, maybe it's Tyler Wall. Do you guys think they need a third person, to, a third player offensively to emerge for them to win the Big Ten and then to go deep in the NCAA tournament? I mean, he always could use it for sure. Uh, you know, Wall hasn't made a three-point shot since I had hair in my head, but uh, <laughs> he, he – but he defends and plays hard and rebounds and 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 it plays you know is really good. Crowd kind of stretches. I think they I think that they'll do that third guy by committee. Uh, like I think different guys. But I will tell you what, the Chucky Hepburn. Yes, you talk about a dude that can guard the ball. Like I just zeroed in on him a couple. He is an incredible on-ball defender. Mm-hmm. Like like you talk about being in a stance and 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 using your length and your hands and and getting deflections and having. Like he's like, if you want to just do a stance on ball defense, keep it in front. You could do a clinic right off off of a tape of him on any possession. It's unbelievable his discipline on the ball defensively. Really, really good. Michigan, stay in the Big Ten real quickly. Michigan, concerned. Another night where. You know, Devontae Jones doesn't make a three. Uh, doesn't make make a three. I'm not sure he got a field goal actually. Uh, Caleb Houston won for eight. Dickinson did get more touches. Yes. Uh, here's my take on him. You know, and I, I was concentrating more offensively early on. Like you know, offensively they they uh, you know look, you lose Livers, you lose Smith, you lose Sean D. Brown. I mean, yep. you know, you're losing you're losing really really good players. I think it's impacting them also on the defensive end, that defensive discipline that, that they had. They had no matchup for Geo Baker yesterday. They had no matchup for Ron Harper. They didn't have a, a grit about him defensively. I mean, where are you guys with Michigan? I think Michigan is going to be good. They're nowhere near as good as I expected. Uh, when you saw them early on, you thought, man, this team's going to take off. And part of it might have been, in my mind, thinking about how they evolved into a great team last year, that, that if they'd been fully healthy with Isaiah Livers, I thought that's a Final Four team. Uh, they're not that this year. And I think your point, Seth, about about their defense is a great one. 
but but it also points up how how connected basketball is between offense and defense that you know if, if you don't perform at a decent level on the offensive end you are going to compromise your defense and whether you turn it over you take a quick or bad shot whatever it is um that that your offense has to help your defense and right now that it, it, they're not doing it and uh and they're not making their opponent take the ball out of the net enough and that that's that that's definitely impacting their defense and and putting them into bad spots. Uh, I think they're going to be good, but they better figure it out quick because I wouldn't want to try to you know try to you know solve that crossword puzzle throughout Big Ten play because I don't I don't think you're going to find many answers on the road in the Big Ten if you don't take them with you until they can establish themselves with more fire perimeter firepower. It's going to hurt Dickinson's ability to be who he is uh, down down in the painted area. And, and Jay, I look at that group right now, and I'm just saying as a whole, to me, they've lost their swagger. And to your point, because they've lost their offensive swagger, it's impacted them on the defensive end because they're a much better defensive team than they've shown so far. Agreed. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would mess around with playing Caleb Houston at four, getting him matched up with a four as opposed to a three. So maybe he'll get some cleaner looks. I don't know if he can defend again on his practice. He seems very straight up and down to me, so he has a hard time being shot ready uh, and getting behind the ball and getting good looks. But it's going to be interesting to watch that Watch that team. And Michigan State obviously has Nebraska tonight. They're playing well. I think Joey Hauser played a little bit better the other day, Jay. I know you you, you mentioned that, that, that the other day. I think that's important. You know, finally, uh, Pac-12 having a hard time getting games. You know, UCLA is going to play Long Beach State this this week uh, just to get a game. You know, speaking of Mick, they they've been healthy. Teams have had these long pauses. What do you just in a big picture? Do you think they should just play their schedule? Should they schedule extra games? Should they try to play three games in a week? Uh, me personally, I think they should try to play. If they could play three games in a week, I think the players would love it. It, it, and and they need to kind of immerse themselves in the season once they, they come off these pauses. Connecticut's coming off a pause, I think, tonight as well. What's your guys' take on that? Get the games in. The games. No matter how you have to do it, get the games in. And, look, there are a variety of reasons. Uh, one, you know, the, these guys' seasons, um, they want to play, and they want to play yeah. all their games. You know, and it's not just, you know, they want their records to be a certain way. They, they want more reps. But they also want like all these guys have individual numbers that are going to follow them around the rest of their lives. And they don't want to be given those things up. And, and I think you'd ask any player, certainly if I can remember back to a million years ago to when I played. And I imagine the same for you. I'd rather play a game than practice. So, yes. so they probably want to do that. But the other part of it is the business side of it. Um, you know, there's money on the line here. And, and these these programs need to get butts in the seats and, and get their TV requirements filled uh, and, uh, and make sure they get paid. And, yeah. and, you know, they got a lot of salaries to pay and all that stuff. Um, they got to bring in revenue. And I think they're all going to play any game they can play. They might not play the non-conference games or all that stuff. That's the difference between a postponement and a cancellation, as you know. They ain't canceling league games. They're going to play them. They'll figure out a way to play them. Yeah, and, and, and I like it too, JB. And, and I think of their top three teams, particularly UCLA, uh, Arizona, and USC. 
those are veteran teams. And I know coaches are going, we need practice. We need practice, but veteran laden teams, they know the system. They know what's expected of them. And, and you don't need to practice those guys as much. Whereas if you were a younger team, practice is important. I'd be really concerned as a coach playing three games in six days with a younger team. So I agree with you. You got to get the games in for all of the reasons you just said. I'll tell you one thing. It's every night, no matter what, it doesn't disappoint. I mean, the games that are being played, even you know, some might be sloppy, but as hard as these guys, the environments that the, that we're seeing each night, that environment last night had to be great. Yeah. Iowa State, Baylor was unbelievable. Baylor's home games have now become events. I mean, if you look around the country, uh, you know, the Big East is is incredible. You think Providence was on a roll? Marquette and you know gets them at home and and absolutely puts a number on them. Uh, Seton Hall goes on the road to Butler and uh, starting to get healthier. They get uh, Obiagin back, one of their bigs back. They're waiting to get Sam's back. So, I mean, you know, we'll get in. I think next week we got to talk a little bit of Big East basketball because I think the depth of the Big East is no different than the depth of the Big 12 or the depth of the SEC. I think Big East really has incredible depth. So, hopefully we can get into that uh, next week. But, uh, Jay, what's what's your schedule? What's your next game? I got Virginia at North Carolina on Saturday, and uh, and then I've got uh, uh, Purdue, Michigan on Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to. Uh, I look forward to all these games, but yeah, uh, be nice to get to get to Chapel Hill and see Hubert and uh, see if he talks to the media. Now that he's no longer a media <laughs> member, he likes to shun the media. Guys, no. like, guys like us. Oh no yeah. Oh, no. it's, oh, are you kidding? He wouldn't what? talk to Schlepp. You think he'd talk to Schlepp's like us? He's a he's a big shot coach now. He's like, you know, you, you, he's like Greenberg used to be. Got no Ooh, time for the media until he's a member of the media. Wow. <laughs> you have one you have one you have one you have one job then. You have a very important job. You have a job, I mean, you know, forget about the game. Because Hubert is close to he's not a member of the, the of, of the fraternity, but it looks to me like he, you know, he he might be this head coaching thing. He might be working his way towards the fraternity. <laughs> he wants to be. So they I, all want to be. Even Jay Wright wants to be. They'll say they don't, <laughs> but they all want to be. It's not. It's not everyone that can have domes like ours. There's no doubt about it. <laughs>